Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. And uh, today and tomorrow, I want to talk about the purpose of marriage. Now, there's a lot of things in life uh, that I'll be honest with you that I'm not super clear about. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. There's a lot of things that easily confuse me. I'm not the most mechanical person in the world. Uh, when it comes to repairing things, I've got to trust others to help me in that area. I'm not the most technical person in the world. When it comes to uh, issues with technology, I have a son who's in the Coast Guard, and he is an amazing guy when it comes to technology. And I pick up my phone and I says, hey, Nate, uh, can you help the old man uh, with this technology problem? Uh, and simple things like getting the phone to work on my car or finding something to appear on my phone that I know is out there somewhere. Uh, well, he's great at that stuff. But today, when I talk to you about this subject of biblical marriage, I want you to know there's some things that we can know for sure. And it may appear today that in our world that this whole marriage idea is an antiquated idea. There's a lady by the name of Sarah Salon. Well, she decided that she was going to move back home to Israel, and she had a job there at the medical center in Jerusalem. And the reason she wanted to go back to Jerusalem is because she was kind of looking for some medicinal plants that she had found helped her during a previous illness. Well, she found lots of them as she went back to her hometown of Jerusalem, but she also had heard there were some medicinal plants that had totally disappeared. She said they were like historical ghosts, like the famous date plantations along the Dead Sea 2,000 years ago. These date plantations were described by Pliny they were described by Josephus, that first century historian, but they're not there anymore. They have just vanished. But Salon realized that the seeds from these trees still existed. They had been recovered by archaeological sites, so she went to the archaeologist and proposed planting some of these seeds, uh, just to see if these dates could be grown again. Well, at first, it didn't go well. She said, they thought I was mad. They didn't think that this was even conceivable. But she kept pushing, and she eventually pursued and persuaded a few of them to provide some seeds to try this experiment. Well, more than a decade ago, she planted some of these ancient palm seeds. Six weeks later, little green shoots appeared. She and her colleagues announced to the Journal of Science that they had grown another six trees from these ancient seeds. Well, no wonder God's word is likened to an imperishable seed. Today, as we talk about biblical marriage, you know, we may be tempted to think great marriages are like historical ghosts. They just seem to have vanished. But I want you to know, the seeds of great marriages still exist today. So let's talk about what a biblical marriage is. Let's give the definition of a biblical marriage. And so by looking at the Greek and the Hebrew word for marriage and, and marry, I've come up with this definition. It's kind of a threefold part of a definition for what marriage is. Marriage is an intimate, complementing covenant union between a man and a woman in which two become one 
for life. Uh, let me repeat that in case you want to write it down, okay? Intimate, complementing, covenant union between a man and a woman in which two become one for life. So I'm going to spend today and tomorrow talking about the purpose of marriage, but let's unpack that meaning. An intimate relationship is a relationship that is based on mutual love. It's mutual and unconditional love. And then I use the word complementing. And the word complementing is a word that means that I bring something and another person brings something and it joins together. Do you remember when Adam was created? God says it's not good that man should be alone. I will make somebody that is like him, but will complete him or complement him. And then it's also a covenant union. Now, that word covenant is so important because today we don't use that word covenant too often. Maybe we will see it if you have a homeowners association covenant. It's something that you agree to live by if you live in a certain neighborhood. When we think about covenant, marriage and covenant in our day and age don't seem to go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, most people look at a a marriage relationship not as a covenant, but as a contract. Now, contracts are good, and I thank the Lord that we are able to have legal binding contracts so that if you hire somebody to do some work for you and they don't do the job they're supposed to do, that contract protects you. It gives you your legal rights and what you can do if you have been slighted or if somebody you entered into a partnership does not fulfill their responsibility. You have some recourse. You have some legal action that you can take. A covenant is not based on distrust. It's based on trust. A contract is based on the fact that I don't trust this person, so I got to protect myself. Marriage is much different than that. When you go into a covenant relationship with somebody, in a marriage relationship, it is based on what you are going to do, not on what the other person is not going to do. Uh, You are promising to do certain things regardless of what your partner does. Now, this is what God does for us. Did you know that God loves us unconditionally? There's nothing that we can do to gain or earn more of his love, nor is there anything that we can do that will diminish his love for us. He doesn't say, oh man, you're a terrible person. I love you less because you have sinned so much. Nor does he say, you're such a great person. I love you more because you do these great things. His love for us is unconditional. So the definition of marriage, a biblical marriage, is an intimate, complementing covenant union between a man and a woman in which two become one for life. Well, that's the definition. Let's talk about the purpose of marriage. You know, marriage is designed to reflect the relationship of the Godhead and to serve Him. Although the fall marred the divine purpose and function of marriage, the definition reflects that God-ordained ideal for marriage from the beginning of human history. So I'll be giving you a lot of verses over the next couple of days as we look at the purpose of marriage, but I want to begin with Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. It says that the Lord God made a woman from the rib 
that he had taken out of man. So a woman came out of the man, out of the rib of the man, and then God brought the woman to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then verse 24 says, This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So here we see that God presents to Adam this wonderful gift that was taken from his rib. Now, some would notice that it was taken from the rib of Adam so that the woman could be by his side. This was a gift that God gave to Adam. She was created in the image of God. She had some characteristics similar to Adam, but she was in some ways opposite to Adam. She was going to complete Adam. So the action of entering into wedlock is a condition of being a husband and wife. Uh, This is holy matrimony. It's a union of a man and a woman for life by marriage. It's a wonderful thing. This is an amazing thing. As a matter of fact, this is the first institution that God created for humans. It predates government. It predates the church. God created human family first, and it begins with marriage. Well, let's talk about the significance of the marriage bed. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Let marriage be held in high honor among you, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Now, a couple of things we've got to look at in Hebrews chapter 12. First of all, the marriage should be held in high honor. In other words, this is God's idea, and we are to honor marriage, the biblical definition of marriage. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. So God has a very clear understanding of why he has created marriage, why he has created the marriage bed, and he wants nothing to be defiled. And he says, if you have a defilement in this area, that you will face God's judgment. And the phrase there is sexual immorality. That phrase, sexual immorality, it covers all sex outside of biblical marriage. And so when we look at what is said here in Hebrews chapter 13, this is an encouragement to us to honor marriage and to realize that it's a sacred relationship that we have with our spouse. And if we deviate from this, there's a pretty stern warning that is given to us because God will judge those who are living sexually immoral lifestyles. So let's look at eight reasons why we believe in biblical marriage, or we could say eight purposes of a biblical marriage. Number one, marriage reflects Christ and the church. And like I said, we're going to be looking at several verses today, but I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 32. Now, Paul is writing and he says, this mystery is profound. And you would think he's talking about the mystery of marriage, because uh, when you get married, there is a mystery to your spouse. Uh, You don't know everything about your wife. You don't know everything about your husband. And there's a mystery to that. And some of that is pretty good, right? 
it's kind of exciting to get to learn everything you can about your spouse. Uh, We are told that we should dwell with our spouse with understanding. But here, Paul says, there is a profound mystery, and he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about the reference to Christ and the church. And so he's saying to us, if you really want to understand marriage, you've got to probe this mystery of Christ and the church. And he says, that's what you ought to build your marriage on, this mystery of Christ and the church. And let's look at this mystery. First of all, it's based on unconditional love. Christ loves the church unconditionally. He gave his life for the church. Is the church perfect? Absolutely not. Does the church fall short of his glory? Many times. But Christ loves the church unconditionally. Now, the reason this is a profound mystery is because we tend to have limits on our love. We tend to love people if they love us back. Uh, We tend to love people who do what we want them to do. We tend to unlove people who don't do the things that we want. But Christ never did that to the church. He says, I'm never going to stop loving the church. I love you so much, I'm going to give my life for you. So marriage reflects Christ in the church. As a husband, you should love your wife unconditionally. And then marriage reflects Christ in the church in this matter of faithfulness. You know, the faithfulness of God is unshakable. You know, I have the privilege of going into St. Bride's Correctional Center and and talking to the inmate and ministering to the inmate. And I really enjoy that because as I go there and I speak to these men, these men are quite transparent. They recognize because of where they find themselves, they can't pretend they got it all together. They depend heavily on the faithfulness of God. As a matter of fact, when I'm looking for volunteers to come in, I said, I want you to be very faithful in coming in to see these men, faithful in coming in and doing services, and faithful in coming in to do Celebrate Recovery. Why is that so important? Because these guys, for the most part, not only have been unfaithful, but they haven't seen anybody be generally faithful in their lives. You know, not too long ago, I just walked around and I asked as many inmates as, as would talk to me, I says, uh, can you tell me about your relationship with your father? You know, I found very few men that are incarcerated who had a really faithful father. Many of them didn't know who their father was. Some of them had fathers who died when they were very young. Some of them had fathers who were also incarcerated. They didn't have a faithful father. And so they need a faithful God. When it comes to marriage, we are called to be faithful to our spouse. It is a faith that is based not upon the faithfulness of our spouse, but on the faithfulness of Christ. Just as Christ is faithful to me, I must be faithful to my spouse. It's a faithfulness that is unshakable. There's something else that we see that reflects Christ in the church when it comes to marriage. Not only is it unconditional love, unshakable faithfulness, but also there's this aspect of protection. There is a protection that is unpenetrable. In other words, God is so protecting us that nothing can penetrate that protection that he provides. Now, when I think about faithfulness in marriage, you know, a faithful Christian marriage 
models God's love. Christopher Ash reflects on the testimony of Christian marriages in a book that he wrote recently. He says, you know, some years ago, there was a dispute in Britain between the Foreign Office and the Treasury. This was a deep argument. The argument was about which British ambassadors would be provided with a Rolls Royce for the official duties in a foreign capital. Well, the Treasury, unsurprisingly, wanted these wonderful cars restricted to a few foreign capitals, maybe Washington or Moscow or Paris. Well, the Foreign Office argued for many more based on this reasoning. Their thought was that most people in a foreign capital, they've never been to Britain, but they see this magnificent car, this Rolls Royce gliding through their streets with the United Kingdom flag on the hood. And they will say to themselves, you know, I haven't been to Britain. I don't know much about the Britain people. But if they make cars like that, then the British people in Britain must be a wonderful place. You know, in a similar way, it is Christ's hope that men and women will say to themselves as they watch a Christian marriage, you know, I've never seen God before. Uh, Sometimes I wonder when I look at the world if God is good or if there is even a God. But if he can make a man and a woman love one another like this, if he can make this husband show costly faithfulness through sickness as well as in health, if he can give them the resources to love his wife with a Christ-like sacrifice, well, then he must be a good God. And if Christ can give this wife grace to submit beautifully with such an attractive spirit, then again, there must be a very good God. And so I want to encourage you, allow your marriage to reflect the love of Christ so that your children can see the love of Christ in your marriage, so that if one day the Lord blesses you with grandchildren, your grandchildren can see the love of Christ in your marriage. Now, I realize that I am so very blessed. Both sides of my family, my wife's side and my side of the family, her mom and dad have been married for 56 years. Neither her mom and dad were previously married. They were married as young people, 18, 19 years old, and here they are now well into their 70s, and they've been married for 56 years. My mom and dad were married for 43 years when my dad passed away. If my dad was still alive today, he'd be almost 100 years old. And if he was still alive today, and my mom is still alive today, uh, she is uh, well into her 80s, they would have been married over 60 years. So both my mom and dad had never been previously married. They were married till death do they part. And my mom has decided to never remarry. Uh, She says, you know, God had one man for me. And uh, when God took that one man home, I'm completely happy in my singlehood. As I think about that, does your marriage reflect Christ and the love that he has for the church? The second purpose of marriage it would be the purpose of expressing completeness and union. 
But well, we're going to go back to the Bible again, right? Genesis chapter number two. Therefore, a man shall leave his father, leave his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Well, this obviously is talking about the sexual union within marriage. You see, marriage expresses this completeness, this two coming together. And this is a natural union, a physical union, a spiritual union. Did you know that married couples have better sex? That's right. I found numerous research projects that have been done on this subject, and indeed, married people are far more likely to have better sex lives in the first place. Married people are about twice as likely as unmarried people to make love at least two or three times a week. And that's not all. The survey after survey has indicated that married sex is more fun. Certainly, at least for men, 48% of husbands say sex with their partner is extremely satisfying compared to 37% of men who are cohabitating. When it comes to creating a, a lasting sexual union, marriage implies at least a promise of permanence, which may be why cohabitating men are four times more likely to be unfaithful. And cohabitating women are eight times more likely to be unfaithful. You know, another study was done in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, and it was actually published in the British Medical Journal. And it studied over 1,000 married men over a 10 year period, finding that long married men live five years longer than unmarried counterparts. That's in part because sex delivers a natural high in the form of a good hormone uh, that will produce happiness and tranquility and actually lowers blood pressure, which provides protection against heart attacks and strokes. Well, the team's research showed that those who had sex three times a week or more cut their risk of a heart attack and stroke by 50%. So I want you to know. We were made for union with God, oneness with God. Marriage was intended to display this union in our lives. So I want to encourage you, if you're married, realize that God has brought you together as a husband and wife. We've only covered two of the purposes of marriage. And so join me tomorrow as we look at the six more purposes of marriage. And so why is it? that married couples have better lives, better sex lives, enjoy life, live longer? Well, join me tomorrow, and we will explore this topic deeper. As a matter of fact, in tomorrow's broadcast, I'm going to begin by sharing with you from a worldly publication why married couples have more sex than singles and why they enjoy their sex lives more. So join me tomorrow. As we continue on this series, what is a biblical marriage? I want you to know I'm praying for you. You know, the thing that my wife and I do that I think brings most intimacy to our marriage is praying together. 
I try every day to pray with my wife. And some days uh, we miss and we, uh, we're not uh, doing it every single day, but we try to do it most days. Some days life just happens and, and uh, some days she leaves the house real early because she has to open up uh, the daycare at the church. And, uh, and so sometimes I, I miss a day, but I try every single day to pray with my wife. You know, I know it is a very cliche thing to say that couples that pray together stay together. So thank you for joining me today. Now listen, if I can pray for your marriage, would you shoot me a text at 252-267-2365? And all you have to do is say, would you pray for my marriage? And I'll pray for your marriage. 252-267-2365. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to encourage you to worship with us at Hickory Ridge Community Church this Sunday, 9 o'clock or 1045. We have a whole lot of things happening this summer. If you go to our website, www.hrcc7.org, you can see what's happening at our church. If you'd like to financially give to our church uh, in this broadcast, you can certainly do that at the same place. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. One more time for the phone number, 252-267-2365. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.